Welcome into the Original Gangsters Podcast, a.k.a. the OG. I am your host, Scott Bernstein, along with my partner in crime, the doctor himself, Jimmy Bucciolato. Hi, everyone. And uh, we're going to jump right in. Uh, we're going to bring on a, an old friend of the program, uh, John Panisi, uh, a former member of the Lucchese crime family who uh, is now a uh, YouTube and uh, social media podcasting star, uh, telling great stories, giving great insight. And he broke some big news last week. Um, it's news regarding stuff that happened about 20 years ago, but nonetheless, it gives a lot of perspective on the rise to power of uh, the skinny one, uh, Joseph Skinny Joey Merlino, the, the Mafia Don of Philadelphia, the most compelling organized crime figure in America, bar none. He's charismatic. He's magnetic. He's been leading the Philadelphia crime family since his early 30s. He is now pushing 60. And John, uh, on his uh, NBA and the Button Man uh, pod uh, video cast last week, uh, regaled his listeners with uh, some great stories and insight related to the Merlino regime's sanctioning by the New York mob families. Um, John, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on. You know, if you've listened to this podcast, if you've read anything that I've written, you know that I'm uh, someone that um, likes to deep dive uh, Joey Merlino and that Philadelphia crew. I've written um, a book on Philadelphia that uh, was very popular called Mafia Prince that um, delved into, you know, the chaos from the 1980s. And then Joey came on the scene in the 90s and, and it's been covered at great length and with tremendous comprehensive journalism uh, by George Anastasia, who I consider a, a friend, a colleague, and a mentor of mine. And even now, 20 years later, two decades later, uh, or in, in some, in, you know, 25, uh, 25 years later, if you're talking about when he kind of initially rose to power, um, and, then tw- and then it's been 20 years since he was sanctioned as Don, I guess, um, we're still learning some of the inside baseball about that unusual rise to the throne in Philadelphia. It was unconventional. Um, Joey teamed with a old school uh, racketeer, drug dealer, hitman named Ralph Natale, who we'd met in prison. Natale didn't even have his button. Uh, Merlino and and Natale. Uh, plotted to take over Philadelphia. This was in the early 1990s. And Natalie had the connections to New York and provided those to Merlino. When they both got out of prison, Merlino, who had been inducted into the mafia, inducted Ralph, and then Ralph declared himself boss. He had sanctioning at this point from the New York families. Uh, Fast forward to 1998, Ralph Natale is deposed as Don. Joey takes over officially. Joey had been kind of running a shadow government uh, behind Ralph the previous handful of years. Um, But he becomes boss in 98, and he needs to be sanctioned by New York. And this is where John's reporting comes in. Well, like, but that, just to point out to people that, how unusual that is yeah. for for Joey for Joey to induct a guy and then also say, by the way, not only do you have your button, but we're going to make you the boss. John, I mean, John, John give, can speak to that, yeah, how us, unusual that is. Give us your uh, take on that whole situation and what and how it was viewed by, by the New York families. 
Well, I don't I don't know about the other families, but I know that the Lucchese family did not recognize or not not want anyone in Abogada to recognize uh, Molino as the boss of Philly. I don't know why. Um, and that goes uh, that goes to um, him being incarcerated with Nicky Scarfo and what happened with Nicky Scarfo Jr. getting shot. That was tied to uh, the early part of Joey's rise. Nicky Scarfo, as most of our listeners know, was the boss of the 1980s uh, in, in Philadelphia. He had a just a maniacal, ruthless reign where bodies were dropping every 30 seconds. Um, he was very close to the Merlino family at one point, but then, you know, he, he got so power drunk, uh, he turned on everybody. I'm talking about little Nicky. And uh, he turned on Joey and Joey's dad, uh, you know, vanquished them from Philly. They were kind of chased uh, from the city. And then shortly thereafter, Nicky was put in prison and Joey comes back to the city. His dad's in prison with Nicky, but Joey comes back to the city. He's about to turn 30. And he he decides that him and his crew of childhood friends are going to take over the Philadelphia mob. And to, to do that at 30 years old, 29, 30 years old, uh, and, and that day and age, again, very rare. These were all, you know, outlier type situations. And in doing that, he um, breaks a lot of rules uh, and, and bucks a lot of traditional authority one of the first things he does is try to kill little Nicky Scarfo's son, Nicky Jr., in a very brazen, or allegedly, I should say, uh, a very brazen hit in the middle of a restaurant in South Philly on Halloween night, pumps like eight or nine bu- uh, bullets into Nicky Jr., um, and Nicky Jr. survives it. But uh, it was very uh, high profile, uh, and Nicky Scarfo is close with. John's former boss in the Lucchese family, Little Vic Amuso. And Amuso and Scarfo form this kind of symbiotic relationship. And then I'm going to turn it over to John. And so when Joey's coming up, uh, Amuso and Scarfo are trying to do everything they can to throw a wrench in Joey's rise. So when Joey eventually takes over as boss in 98, Amuso sends out word that the Lucchese's are not to recognize him. And he needed some type of sanctioning from New York, and he wasn't getting it from Ralph's contacts anymore because Ralph was on the shelf. Correct. So tell us what you what you were hearing about, you know, the Lucchese's uh, refusing to recognize Joey. Well, remember, when this is all going on, I'm not in the life. So, I mean, this is... But this is spoken about <laughs> for years because it was a big thing. And then, you know, there was a meeting that we were supposed to have. I spoke about on the last time on the podcast with you guys that, I mean, on your show with you guys that when we were supposed to meet uh, Joey Molino and it was blocked by our captain, uh, Big John Castellucci. And, but I already known this, but he had said, you know, uh, 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 you know, we don't recognize Molino as the boss and that comes from the top. And that, you know, that means our administration. And the reason being is because, once again, as you just said, um, um, Vic, little Vic, is away and locked up with Nikki Scarfo to become very close while they were in, in the prison together. And when they make the move to hit Nikki Scarfo Jr., 
Um, obviously, the father had these discussions with Vic, and Vic, in turn, offers protection for Nikki Jr., and by doing that, he gets him inducted into the Casey family. So, so Nikki Scarfo Jr. is actually a, a member of the Lucchese family. And, but to go a step further, it, it was discussed and it's common knowledge. It was, you know, spoken about that. What, what had taken place was actually Vic went on a campaign against um, Molino being the boss and sent messages all you know, out to the street. He even tried, which we spoke about, to um, cause trouble for Bobby Luizzi because, uh, you know, for those who don't know, Bobby Luizzi was inducted in, into the Philadelphia family and, and took a, um, a faction up to Boston. You know, he was already in place in Boston, but he wasn't at that time. He wasn't a made member of, of any family. He had a falling out with the Patriarchs and all of that. But what we didn't talk about on the podcast, and I, I spoke to you earlier about it, is that we had heard that even before um, Bobby Luisi was inducted or tied to Joey Molino, when he was really just up in, in Boston as an independent, right? Um, guys from Boston did not like, and obviously the Patriarca family did not like, you know, what Bobby was doing. And uh, for the guys that were away in prison with with um, Amuso, they were complaining to Amuso about Bobby. And Amuso sent a message to the Patriarca saying that they should hit Bobby, get rid of Bobby. That you know, he was a nobody. We just letting him, and he was really interfering with them. And as the story goes, the Patriarchs didn't didn't really appreciate him trying to <laughs> give them any kind of orders, and they basically sent a message back saying, you know, don't send us any more messages, and if you do, send it through the West Side, which is kind of, you know, saying to go to the Genovese family to, to uh, send them any messages. Whatever tie they had to them, I don't know. But going back to the story, um, he, Vic was using his influence to send messages out there, I guess in support of what you just said, you know, kind of there was this plot to try to, for Nikki Scarf or the father to kind of take the reins back of the family through Nikki Jr. And in order to do that, he had to knock Molino off his throne. Or, de- or so delegitimize him and have him knocked yeah. off his throne by yeah. others. Words, well, that really, would, you're right. That's the best word is that he's basically telling the other families, look, we're not recognizing this guy. This guy's not the boss. He, this guy made himself. That, that's what one of the things I heard was that he can't make himself the boss. He made himself the boss. Well, that was true in the sense that Ralph got sanctioned, even though he wasn't, this is where there's some nuance here. Ralph might not have had his button. He went to prison in 1979 and was locked up till 94 and never been made. But Ralph did have, you know, some level of esteem on the streets back in the 70s uh, through his connection to Angelo Bruno. He did put in work and, you know, uh, got his hands dirty for the family. He was a big labor racketeer, too, Big labor racketeer. So he might have not have had his button, but in his politicking behind bars, Ralph gained support from the Columbos, the Gambinos and the Genovese. And that legitimized Joey when 
the initial kind of insurrection that Joey led or the insurgents that Joey led against the Stanfa regime. The family was being run by the Sicilian now named John Stanfa, and uh, Natalie and Marlino decided to unseat him. And then there was a, a shooting war, and Natalie and uh, Joey ended up on top. That regime mm-hmm. was sanctioned by New York because of Ralph. Yeah, that's why I think Molino used obviously Ralph Natalie for his connections. <laughs> right. So when Ralph goes to when Ralph's out of the picture in '98, he goes to prison on a parole violation, and Joey decides, you know, with complete autonomy, uh, whether or not that autonomy was, you know, granted to him or he just took it. Uh, he bumped Ralph uh, out of the top seat. Uh, I'm assuming without sanctioning. I'm pretty sure without sanctioning from New York. And then, de- 100%, and yeah. then declared himself boss, like you're saying, with again without sanctioning from New York. So he needs to find yeah. sanctioning. Let me just real quick, I want to unpack something because I think we buried the lead a little bit on exactly what you reported, and then I'm and then we're gonna go back to where we just were leaving off. So what what yeah. what John reported last week, which was you know uh, created some buzz and some headlines, um, uh, was you know uh, some of this inside baseball behind the sanctioning and that. Uh, Amuso had put out word that Joey should not be recognized. That wasn't necessarily the breaking news. The the because that was kind of known. The breaking news was a that what Joey's response was, yes, uh, according yes. to John, where jo- Joey sent word back to Vic uh, and Nikki Scarfo in prison. If I see any Lucchese's uh, lurking around South Vill- South Philly, I'm going to send them back to you in a body bag. Um, and then at some point as this feud escalated, you had the Genovese godfather, uh, Laborio Barney Belomo, who right now is probably considered, uh, I wouldn't say probably, I would say undoubtedly is considered the number one, uh, Don in New York city, maybe the number one Don in, in the country, uh, stepped in and told Vic Amuso and Nikki Scarfo that, uh, you know, sh- you know, shut your mouths. Uh, I'm declaring Joey boss. Um, Joey is the boss in our, in our minds and now we're sanctioning him. And this was around the, so this was all going on, let's say between 98 and 2000. Um, and, and John with his reporting and his, uh, podcast last week really gave us some some granular detail that, it, frankly, is uh, you know it, it's it's a bombshell when you and it comes to Joey threatening a, a New York Don uh, like that, threatening to kill members of Lucchese's if they came in and or trying to take territory in South Philly, and then the fact that Belomo uh, was making his name and making his voice heard in this whole you know mini rivalry. So John, let's go kind of back to where we were we were and. Uh, so Joey has a faction set up in New England, and Nikki and Vic are trying to undermine it. Yeah, and if you if you think about it, that has to be Joey's response. You know, in his mind, he is the boss, right? When he's sending these messages, when he's hearing this, he's not, you know, don't forget, this is all traveling around, right, back then. And he's getting word that, you know, there's, remember, there's always people in that life. There's people that love you, there's people that hate you, there's people... You know, there's people that, that like Joey, too, and he's getting word back that this is going on, you know, behind the scenes, what Vic is trying to do. And he has to kind of send a, a strong message back. You know, he's, uh, you know, as far as he's concerned, he is the boss out in Philly. And, he, and, and another boss in New York is, is actually asking for his, uh, you know, 
to, to dethrone him, if, if you if you will. And he's going to send a strong message back. And um, you know, and that's that's what that's what we had heard from the story that he basically sent a very strong message back. How he did it, I don't know. And basically saying, if I see Lucchese guys, you know, walking around in Philly, they're going to go back in body bags, which, which, you know, from his position, he has to send that kind of message back. And ultimately, ultimately it all stopped as far as, you know, what Vic was trying to do. And it stopped when the West side stepped in and that's the Genovese family. And, and ultimately they, they kind of, uh, I don't, I don't know if they, it was the end of it, but they basically said that we recognize him. We are recognizing him as the boss. And that, that rings true because what, in the last case that Joey was on, look what, who was the prominent family involved, involved in that case. It was, it was the West side. Patsy Perello and the Genovese. Patsy yeah, Perello's one of the Barney's. West side. It was, he was yeah, Barney's top, top guy in the Bronx. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think he was doing business with them? Right. <laughs> he was doing business with them because it was a it was a strategic move because Philly was usually and and they it was a strategic move by the West Side because now they have they're supporting him and they kind of have that link to him. You know what I mean? He he they 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 took his back, so to speak. And he, they were making uh, at least you know if you believe what the government was saying in that East Coast LCN conspiracy case that dropped in sixteen. Now Joey wasn't convicted of these charges; he was only convicted of gambling charges. But if you believe yep. what the federal government was saying, the Genovese was earning with him, like big money off of a number of scams. One of them being that um, uh, topical cream scam. Where they were yeah, you yeah. Know, making this this topical cream for shoulder pain, they were making it for like five bucks in a lab, and they were selling them for like five hundred bucks a, a carton. That's or, like or that's straight out of the surprise. Like you couldn't write you couldn't write a better, yeah. and they were actually doing it. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm going to ask something, uh, John or, or Scott can jump in too. Uh, for more of a macro question here, and um, I, I I'm just fascinated by th- there's a real political science here to what you guys are talking about, a, a political science applied to the underworld. Can you explain, uh, John, why, why is it so important for the, the boss of a, of a smaller to medium-sized family be recognized or legitimized by New York? Like, you know, New York is the nexus of power here. Why, why is that so important for someone to have that, that recognition in the underworld? Well, number one is business. You technically, if 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 Joey is not recognized as, as the boss, you know, you really shouldn't be doing any business with them. You know, they're not recognizing. You know, like for instance, when when um, when uh, Pistone, the agent, right, the Donnie Brasco, when that whole thing happened with Bananos, I I, I believe that they would. They, they no longer had a seat on the commission. They, they like, you know, they punished, they punished them. When the bananas caused the trouble up at our club in the Bronx that time, we had an order that really don't do business with them unless you have the upper hand. And in those, unless it's in your favor, then do it. But try to avoid doing any business with them. So they start putting sanctions on people. When you're talking about 
not recognizing a boss of a whole Bogota. <laughs> You're talking about sanctioning the whole Bogota. You know, business-wise, that's not good. Are people going to do business with them anyway? Yeah, everybody, when it's time to make a dollar, they turn, they turn, you know, they turn the other way. Jimmy, maybe for the um, lesser versed here, why don't we make like a correlation to geopolitics? And you can even make a correlation to what's going on right now in Afghanistan. A regime's taking over, and you know, it's a far radical rogue regime and whether or not they they care if they're legitimized by the global powers uh, whether they get a seat in the un whether their their, their diplomacy you know they receive diplomatic aid, status whether they're eligible for foreign you know, aid they, you know now we can debate whether or not they even care about that but right oh, when a, when a, when a administration turns over in a in a foreign country that new administration needs sanctioning by other global administrations. Yeah, I think I think John, I mean, explained it with saying business, right? It's about, and you're talking about too, allocation of resources. You look at a country like Cuba, if you're isolated and ostracized from the international community, you're going to have a difficult time doing business and getting things done. And I think that's the parallel that, that you and John are drawing now. Like if, if Merlino's not sanctioned, He's going to have a difficult time earning, and then correct me if I'm wrong, John. That's going to make him vulnerable in the eventually, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it. You know, here's another scenario. What if there's a, a a beef or a problem between somebody from New York and somebody from Philly? And as you know, if there's a sit down between friends, meaning members of opposite families and they can't come to an agreement, that gets kicked up to a captain, or as you say, capital regime. If, they, if, they, if that doesn't have any uh, positive outcome, now that gets kicked up on an administrative level. What, what, what's he to do if it gets kicked up? And the, the, uh, another administration is going to say, well, that's, well, we're not getting involved with that because we don't recognize you. You know, it's an embarrassment that they won't even sit down with him. And that's... That's serious. And we got, we got to put it in context, too. To This was 1998. Joey was not a veteran or a, a seasoned member of organized crime. He was 35 years old um, yeah. and didn't have I – mean, simply based on uh, the time that he had spent in the underworld, he didn't have the time to make all those connections that you make when you're in your 40s and 50s and 60s with other members of, of East Coast LCN. So His dad wasn't around to introduce him. Right. right? Well, his dad went to prison when he was in his 20s. Right, right. And uh, so he right. when he would have been introduced, it would have been in his teens and early yeah, 20s. Right. And Ralph was, that was why, that's why I needed Ralph. So exactly. So Joey's kind of exposed in this 98, 99, 2000 uh, period. Uh, and again, John's you know, providing invaluable insight. And I want to uh, pivot to one other situation now and, have John, and get John's opinion on it. So you have uh, Little Vic and Nikki Scarfo uh, trying to convince the other mob families in New York not to recognize Joey's uh, ascent. Um, and then Joey gets caught up in a case that he's going to end up having to serve time for uh, over a decade. And his own, his own Borgata starts, or parts of his own Borgata, start scheming with members of the Gambino and Genovese. This was before Barney Belomo steps in. 
um, Joey's capo in New York, uh, and sorry, not New York, in Newark, uh, his North Jersey capo, uh, Pete the Crumb Caprio, who was a OG who did date uh, his uh, gangland career back, you know, several decades. Uh, and being in New Jersey was connected to a lot of New York guys. So he was a Bruno guy even before Nicky's Scarfo? Yeah, was he was it? under Bruno and, and Tony Banana Caponegro, oh, but okay. uh, I believe Scarfo made Caprio gotcha. in one of Scarfo's first uh, ceremonies in 81 or 82. Okay. okay. Or Testa might have made Caprio. Caprio. I know he was made early yeah. in the 80s. Okay. But he had been around for a sure, long sure. time. Right. And because uh, you got to remember with Bruno, the books were kind of closed yeah, for right. 15, 20 years. So there right. were guys that got made in the early 80s uh, in Philly that in any other family would have been made in the late 60s or early 70s. Uh, so you had Pete Caprio aligning with members of the Genovese and Gambino, and, and and this had nothing to do with Nicky Scarfo or Vic Amuso, and they planned to murder Joey's acting boss, uh, Joe Lagambi, who was a um, an old-timer that had taken over for Joey when Joey was in prison, and then Joey's uh, two best friends, Stevie Mazzone and Georgie Borghese, um, Pete Caprio was was planning on murdering them and and being sanctioned by the Gambino and Genovese to then remove Joey, uh, depose Joey uh, in absentia because Joey would uh, was in prison and Caprio would have taken over the family with backing from New York. Caprio was plotting this with some guys that were wired up. Uh, he gets indicted in March of 2020 and that plot implodes. Um, did you guys hear anything about that in the Lucchese's that there had been like a plan from within Joey's ranks to, to remove him? And it just, de- and it just demonstrates the instability at that time. Yeah. That particular um, plot that you're talking about, I, I didn't, I didn't hear about that. You know, I'm sure guys know about that, but I, I, I didn't hear about that. Um, I can only say that it, it was obviously it was a power move, but as you could see, the New York families were not too crazy about Molino, <laughs> you know, and I think that Vic, knowing that, that's why he was trying to push, you know, and, and push, push to take him down. Now, it didn't work. Doesn't it also show from Caprio's standpoint um, from, again, you're a member of, of Joey's uh, you know, the power structure, you're, you're one of the top, let's say 10 guys in the family, uh, if not, you know, higher up, if you're Pete Caprio. Um, but doesn't it, the fact that Joey didn't have sanctioning right off the bat, it, it wasn't just the Lucchese's and, 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 and Scarfo and Musso in prison. It was his own people that saw that as an opportunity to go after the brass ring. They, they saw Joey was exposed within his own Borgata here. This was Caprio trying to leverage it, the non-sanctioning. Yeah, and 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 you you said that this Caprio, I don't know who he is, but he he was an older guy who had connections. Yeah. Obviously, he had been Joey's go-between. The older guys, and that would come before Joey, that was around before Joey, are not gonna. It's not gonna sit well with with what took place. Doesn't mean that. You know, Joey made himself the boss. Joey came in there with, with Ralph and and, and they. His crew of young Turks took on uh, uh, Stanford, right? But that doesn't mean that there wasn't old timers around that 
went, you know, felt that it was the right move, that Joey was the right guy for the position. You know, another guy like this guy may say, hey, you know what? I'm going to go to my connections and I'm, I'll be sanctioned. I'm going to, I got permission to take him out there. You know, the other families that you mentioned were agreeing with him. Obviously he got permission to do it. We'll try to do it rather. Can we, can we play a, a what if game here yeah. for a moment? No. Just to nerd I'm, out I'm on this. Always, you, 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 you're to play the what if game. What if that happened? <laughs> yeah. yeah you know, I've talked about that. Would that have been enough to keep, would South Philly have fallen in line? Well, if, so, if three, four New York family sanctioned. Now here's what's interesting about that. Palace coup. That, that, here's what's interesting about that. <laughs> There, there are two things, and we're again, we're going inside baseball, but I, I love doing this. So, first off, the the plan was, and I, and again, obviously, we wanted to get John's insight on this because uh, he's our insider. Um, so, the plan from Caprio's angle was to call Legambi, Borghese, and Mazzone to a meeting, have them murdered all at the same time, kind of like the three, three Capos murder in New York years before with the yeah. Bananos. Um, and he was then going to, you know, or be installed by New York as the boss. And then he was in another, you know, this strange uh, protocol that they were following or trying to follow. They were then going to make this guy named Danny D'Ambrosia, Danny D, who was arguably the top bookmaker uh, in Philadelphia and was had gotten very close to Ralph Natale. Um, meanwhile, I think Ralph was playing a role in all of this. He, Ralph was playing like three different sides of, of the game back in, in around 2000 where he was cooperating with the government against Joey. And then if you listen, if you believe transcripts and it's hard not to believe a transcript when, when it's a guy, you know, you're, you're, you're seeing a guy, what he said at, at, in real time. Uh, it, it looked like Ralph was cooperating with the government against Joey. And at the same time, cooperating with Caprio in trying to unseat Joey and and coaching him uh, and trying to line up contacts in New York, which I'm guessing at the time maybe the New York guys that were Natalie was reaching out to didn't realize that Natalie had flipped. Um, so he, the idea was you were going to take this Danny D'Ambrosio who was not a made guy. He was just a earner, a big bookmaker that Ralph and Joey got their hooks into. And at the end of Ralph's uh, tenure on the street, 97, 98, he had this Danny D guy with him on a pretty regular basis. So the idea was that Caprio was going to induct Danny D and make Danny D the underbar. Oh, God. And again, this guy, was, this guy wasn't a, a made guy. Yeah, right. guy. Was, he, he, yeah. wasn't, he had never done anything with his right. hands. Right. He wasn't respected other than the fact that he knew he how to run a book. He could earn, right. Uh, and then the idea was then to go get Marty Angelina – who was another part uh, was a part of Joey's inner circle and a group of childhood friends, and appoint a Marty Angelina the consigliere and have Marty Angelina kind of have his own faction of the family that were all the old Joey guys. Now, there, we, we know that Danny D'Ambrosio and his dad have had problems from the Merlino Legambi regime since this. Oh, plot I can was, imagine was was. Uh, publicized in court hearings and uh, testimony and whatnot. Uh, you know, Danny D's dad, if you believe. He's like a connected guy too? No. Danny no. D's dad is a civilian? Is like a plumber. I don't know if he's a plumber. He's like a, just a yeah. regular civilian. Yeah. And uh, I've talked to a couple of FBI agents. I've talked to a couple guys on the street. Uh, he had to pay about a quarter million dollars 
to Joe Legambi. <laughs> just shook him down. Uh, not to shake him down, to to pre- to pre- prevent Joe oh. Legambi from killing Danny oh. D. Oh, God, yeah. Danny D was in the plot to try to kill Joe Legambi. Right. So Danny D was coming out of prison, uh, and <laughs> Joe Legambi was caught on a wire recounting this incident where Danny D's dad showed up at Joe's house and was like, you can't kill my kid. Uh, Here's a check. Well, no, that wasn't <laughs> recorded, but uh, the rumor was that there was money passed and that got Danny D a pass. What I wonder when we're playing this whole what if game, what did Marty Angelina know or didn't know? Like, why, why was, Cap, why was Caprio, Caprio and the Genovese and the Gambinos assuming Marty Angelina would have fallen in line? Gone for that deal. Did they, were there overtures made to Marty Angelina? I have no idea. Or was Angelina the olive branch? Right, know? Angelina. Or, or was it something like, once this happens, we'll reach out to Marty? Like, was it a hypothetical? Or was it something Could've that they had already more. kind of set up? So the Danny D thing wasn't hypothetical. He was in Danny on that D conspiracy. Was in on, oh yeah, Danny was D, a, we know for sure, was in okay, on that conspiracy. Okay. Well, Danny D, and I don't know who he is, but obviously was the pawn because he was the guy. When, when, when you said moneymaker, I smiled because they're going to want to keep the moneymaker right next to them and control, right? right? He That's puts why Ralph kept him close. He puts, yeah, he puts a guy in, he trains him out, and then bumps him up. He would have to, I mean, I don't know how they do things in Philly, but he would have to bump him up to a skipper's position and then to an administrative position. But that's, that's, the, that's the control one, and obviously to keep him close with his money. <laughs> no, but they would have done the same. It, they would, it would have been almost like a repeat of Joey and Ralph. It, there, I don't think it was talks of like, we're going we're gonna to groom Danny D up the ladder. It was like, no, we're going to make Danny D, and then the second we make him, and the second we give him his button, he becomes underboss. Yeah, they may, I mean, they may. Which is just, like again, said, I, it, it's, it bucks all traditional yeah, protocol. Of, yeah, they, they, you know, they do things down in Philly different yeah. than, than obviously New York. But, but that's the way it's supposed to happen. Uh, you know, it's supposed to go through that chain of command, you know, you're supposed to, or through that process, you're, you're supposed to go from a friend to a position of a captain to an administrative, an administrative position, not, not just straighten a guy out or, or make a friend, one of the bosses, <laughs> but they, they do things differently. If we're playing the what if game, I would have to say, and John, I want to get your opinion that that would be a, that would have turned out to be a giant miscalculation another war there's no way Joey whether or not he was in prison or yeah. not especially if you went out and just killed his two best friends uh that th- th- there would have been scorched earth i think you're right um i i i wouldn't see that playing out very well for them uh based on your knowledge john you know joe you knew joey so tell us what you think yeah. maybe would have happened no i listen he's gonna fight to the end in all cases but i i just don't forget that's a big big blow to him you're taking out top people those, you know those are some of his top people but you're not taking out his whole crew so he has you know his people out there. Yeah, they would have went to war with them. They would never that would have never transitioned smoothly <laughs> do you see what happened in montreal I mean, they try to do that to Vic Rizzuto, or Vic. They try to do that yeah. to uh, Vito Rizzuto, and yeah. he, in return, you had this scorched earth revenge campaign that's still raging today, uh, over a decade yeah. later. Um, and I know it's a little bit different over there, but I, I, I don't, 
I don't see the, just the fact that Joey was in prison, and he wasn't in prison for life. So, I mean, he'd been in prison for life, and he was trying to control the family like that. I, I, I maybe could see that being pulled off. But since he had an out date, he knew he was coming home in 10 years. Uh, I, I don't see that ha- as a, having worked. Yeah, that would have never that would have never went over without without a wall, like you said. No way. I think it's also interesting to point out some some context here that th- this idea of New York, let's say, interfering or having influence over Philadelphia is something that that there was a tradition of, and and with Bruno for his reign, which was pretty stable. It was the Gambinos. It was it was well known the Gambinos were the ones who who were sponsoring him. And there was there was the belief or the rumor that they were distant cousins. Yeah, Bruno and Gambino. Right, they were friends. Not, yeah, yeah not only close. business close, partners, but close. but friends. Bruno allowed the Sicilian Gambinos to set up shop in Atlantic City and Philly and South Jersey, which, which which the the Philly guys didn't like. And Bruno said tough tough shit. Um, so. Correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't part of the move to take out Bruno a maneuver by the Genovese family to yeah, it was. to to it take was. To, to remove yeah. the Gambinos from that, that situation. That's, no, that's known history. <laughs> that's known history. Tony yeah. Tony Bananas, who was uh, Bruno's consigliere, yeah. had gone and got this what he thought was approval right. from the Genovese, but it wasn't. It was like it was Frank Fonzitieri telling him he had approval, but Thierry hadn't cleared it with the a chin, chin. Yeah. And it ended up it ended up making it so uh, Tony Caponegro ended up in the trunk of a car right. shortly after uh, Tony Caponegro blew out uh blew off Angelo Bruno's head that night in uh, South Philly in March of 80. So so then once so then Testa doesn't last long, then you get Scarfo. But why did but again, how did Scarfo get in? Scarfo didn't just declare himself boss. Scarfo right. was backed by the chin. Yes. Okay. So, so Scarfo th- had to go to New York after Testa was blown up, right? And get sanctioning, yes, from the Genovese. So throughout the Scarfo regime, the Genovese family is the primary yeah. family that supports Philly, acknowledges Philly, well, and Gamb- and Gambino. Well, yeah. but the Gambino sort of had to fall in like fall in line because yeah, but they, they, they would have preferred let Stampa come back. Stanford had been part of the Bruno murder conspiracy, and when he got out of prison in 88, uh, Scarfo was still, in theory, he was still the boss. He, had been, he was in prison. He still was the boss. His, uh, uh, Scarfo's uncle, Tony Buck Piccolo, was acting boss. And the Gambinos made a deal with Scarfo and Piccolo right. to allow Stanford back, back to Philadelphia and, and allowed to— not be killed for his role in the Bruno murder. And then the Gambinos and the Genovese, I, I assume, uh, sanctioned Stanford's rise. Yeah, I think, I think um, if also, uh, uh, John, I don't know if you, if you heard about this back then, but um, I know you weren't in the, in the life yet at this point, but uh, this is in George Anastasia's book that during this, the war between Stanford and Merlino, Stanford thinks he can count on the New York Gambinos to come in and back him, and they won't. Remember, he's those he's having conversations with Tommy Gambino, saying like, "You know, I need help down yeah, here." Bring and they the shooters. And and first he says, "Yeah, well, well, we may be able to do something," and then they tell him, "Our hands are tied. We can't, we can't, we can't back you. Not formally." So it's a least. it's a very yeah. very important relationship 
Yeah, uh, New York. And, and, and between Philadelphia and New York. And then, John, also speak to uh, – we, we've talked about the, the geography of it. It's one thing for New York to, to sanction a regime uh, in Chicago or Cleveland or Milwaukee or Kansas City um, where you're not really existing in anyone's backyard. Yeah. But when it Proximity. comes to – Right. When it comes to Philadelphia and Boston specifically or Providence, New England and Philadelphia uh, and the DeCalvicantes in New North, Jersey yeah. – you're, you're going to have to do business in New York, inevitably. So you're going to yeah. need sanctioning from New York way more than you would uh, if you're the, the mob boss of Cleveland going to, uh, you know, to go meet with yeah. the, the five families back in the day to get sanctions. So, yeah, John, talk about the, 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 this kind of New York is, is at five families and everyone's interacting and everyone's doing business with each other, with, and not just the five families. Yeah, the proximity is closer, and 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 you know the probability of any issues coming up with New York people, or Chicago, you know, back, maybe back then they did a lot more business and back in the day, but in the times we're talking about, how much business is, is New York doing with Chicago? Not much, <laughs> and and but Philly, you know, you, you, you throw a rock from Jersey and you hit Philly. So I mean that you know it was a lot of business, and don't forget. The Philly mob has, has part of their mob in Jersey, in South Jersey. So, you know, there's a lot of interaction going on, and it was important. Uh, you know, through this whole conversation, we keep talking about, or I keep hearing, sanction from New York, which just goes to show you that, you know, Philly, although people think they do act on their own, there is a lot of sanctions that they gotta, they have to, you know, uh, deal with from New York. From, from from these five families. In time immemorial. I mean, we're, we're not talking about... It, it no, going just, back to the 30s, 1930s. We're not just talking about this popped up in the Merlino regime or this popped up in the no. Scarfo regime. Yeah. This had no, been kind going of, all the way back to the Bruno era. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, it, I think even, it, before, it, before, the, before the Bruno Prohibition, era. Prohibition, even. Yeah. yeah. So New York was, is, is you know, like you like you mentioned what's going on in Afghanistan, you know, the, the Taliban is, it's, are they, they're never going to get sanctions from any of the superpowers, at least, at least the United States, they're not, but that's, that's very similar. Like, you know, even though they're a country, you know, countries away, they're, they're very far from. The fundamental difference is, and, and I laugh, and I know we're now digressing into politics, but I laughed a couple of weeks ago when I heard uh, the Biden administration, um, come out uh, uh, in a press conference and, well, you know, the Taliban's going to have to really, really consider and weigh uh, the diplomatic uh, ramifications of that. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like they, they don't, don't care. care. They're, they're Islamic radicals. They're terrorists. They don't care about being recognized diplomatically as opposed to a mob guy that would want to be recognized or a mob These family. These are people who, if they see a, a woman, they would think, you see yeah. school books, they're either burning them or killing them or killing these women, the teachers at that. And, and plus, you know, behind the scenes. They're not going to care about yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, John. Just sorry to interrupt. But no, I mean, no, go right, go right behind on. the scenes, the Taliban will be sanctioned unofficially by Pakistan, yeah. Saudi Arabia, oh, and they know yeah, that. Absolutely. And they know that. <laughs> Even if it's absolutely. not officially through back channels, a wink yeah. and a nod, those countries will absolutely, well, because we, they always did part, support that. Right. <laughs> they'll, yeah, they'll, they'll, I'm sure they're supplying money and weapons to them as well. Yeah. You know I mean, they, 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 don't, they don't want a New York-backed regime, I mean, I mean, not New York, <laughs> a, a United States-backed regime running a country, a Muslim country, they, they, you know, predominantly Muslim country, they, 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 that's 100%. So there, I just want to touch on two more things, and then we're going to let you go and wrap it up. Uh, first off, I want to just 
backtrack for one second, and I want to highlight just the utter lunacy of Nicodemo, little Nicky Scarfo, and this notion that he had that was obviously uh, indulged by, by Vicka Musso, that even though he was in prison serving a life sentence, and even though he had been shunned uh, by most of the world of organized crime, both within his own family, Philadelphia, and New York for the chaos that he brought uh, to the streets. I mean, people talk about John Gotti being bad for the mob, and and he was, but Nicky Scarfo was just as bad uh, and brought heat upon everybody with his cowboy antics and whatnot. Um, And as of like 10 years ago, uh, until that bust that took down his kid, uh, which was a bust uh, regarding the the um, siphoning millions of dollars from a bank and a some type of fraud scam. This 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 detached from reality geriatric mob guy, being Nicky Scarfo, yep. thought in his mind that he could buy back the Philadelphia crime family and install his son as the... That was what the money was for that they were taking from the bank. I mean, how, <laughs> how loony is this? And this, I mean, again, we're not talking about 1987 or 1997. We're, we're talking 2009, 10, 11. As, as I told you previously, if Nicky Scarfo Jr. was able to siphon $100 million or, or even $500 million, I don't care what any kind of money, he was not accomplishing that and taking back that family. There was no way that was happening. Unless he offered it to Joey and Joey said, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> you know what I mean? That would probably be the only way. And I still don't think he would do it, but you never know. They want to go gamble. But, but if the bigger picture is, is that what a lot of people don't realize, and Vicka Musso has a history of listening to people like gas pipe that, Get him involved in wacky, wacky plans. Conspiratorial narratives yeah. and paranoia. Kip and, shooting, yeah. shooting, uh, uh, sh- the shooting of uh, of a woman. Yeah. I mean that that PTO assisted. I mean, come on, that's not, you know. And 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 Vic was going along with with kind of other people putting things in his head, and he was going along with that. Well, it's the same thing. So compare uh, Castle to to. Um, uh, Scarfo, I mean, of course we can't compare them because uh, uh, Scarfo never cooperated, but their mindset was, you know, crazy. They yeah. were nuts. For people that don't know, Gaspipe Castle was uh, Vic Amuso's uh, number two underboss, right hand man. I'm interested in your take on how is Vic Amuso uh, held power for so long um, with him being in prison and uh, took power in the family in the mid mid 80s. Uh, when Tony Ducks Corallo got busted in the commission case, uh, went to prison in 91, and is never going to see the light of day. But kind of like what we saw from Carmine Persico, and we'll, we'll, we're going to just for a second touch on that before we leave, um, has been able to hold power well into his 80s. What's, what's, the, what's the secret? What, what, what's he been able to do? Because he doesn't seem like the most you know, stable of genius, stable of mob geniuses. It's a two-word answer, and it's Cosa Nostra. And that's the boss is the boss is the boss, and that's it. And he is the boss. And until he steps down, he will remain the boss. That's the way it's supposed to be. 
like you just mentioned, Kwame uh, Persico. He, he was the boss. He, he didn't step down, and he was the boss till he died. Vic is going to be the boss till he dies. You don't see any uh, situation, and I guess if it would, if it was going to happen, it would have happened already. Yeah, where sure. there, there was a you know people within the ranks that would try to uh, you know remove him since he was never coming home. I never, I never heard of that. I don't know if there was any kind of plots to take Vic out. I, I just, you know, don't forget when you're in, when you're incarcerated, you you kind of you you lose touch to what's actually happening, you know, in in, in the street, day to day activities. But you know, he ultimately can make decisions, and and that's been proven. Right, in the last administration change. He ordered those guys down and and promoted his own guys. Yes, those were those were sanctioned by him. So, you know, he he definitely is the boss, and 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 you know, the answer to that to me is cousin Usher. That's 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 the way it is. Um, you know, I, I I don't I believe in my heart he's an older guy, and you know he's not going to live forever. And if they don't, you know, he passes away, then whoever is is the acting boss will now take that. Or maybe somebody else step up, but they'll have that official title. There hasn't been an official title since he's what? It's always an acting position. So let me ask you guys, just again, I'm interested in this sort of politics here. Scarfo Jr., he transfers over to the Lucchese family. That's something that Amuso and Scarfo negotiated in prison. And he became a capo. Uh, and so he yeah. relocates to New York. He's not operating in he he lost Jersey. His, Jersey. He lost his Philly. He's living in Jersey. North Jersey, I'm assuming. Yeah. yeah. I think it was Jersey. He, yeah. And he's running that crew That's for right. a short period of time until he was deposed. Yes, he was taken down. So, John, were you active when when Scarfo Jr. was a skipper? Was that during your time? No, it was not. No, it was before me. But, what, but what's okay. interesting okay. is that although Joey had all these, talking about Joey Merlino, had all these problems yeah. with the Lucchese's when it came to Vic Amuso, a big, you know, uh, power base for Joey within the five families right now is from that Jersey branch of the Lucchese's through the Pernos, correct. which is how, correct. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, John, which is how you met Joey and that whole Philly crew. Correct. That's correct. And, and as I, as I told you previously, when it was time to take down Nicky Scarfall Jr. from his position of captain and then just break him down to a soldier, the person that was stepping into that position was Ralphie Perna, Joey's, Joey Perna's father. And Joey Perna volunteered to go drive out to meet with Nicky Scarfo to take him down. This is verbatim for Joey. He said, I couldn't stand him, and I, I loved it, you know, that I was able to go and tell him, oh, by the way, you're not in that position no more. And guess who the new, uh, you know, who, who's taken over? My father. And that is the common denominator, in my opinion, why they're so close, meaning Molino and, 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 and Perna. Perna idolizes Molino. Idolizes him. You're saying Joey, Joey Perna idolizes Joey Merlino? Yes, idolizes him. There's a lot of pictures of those, a lot of pictures of those guys floating around uh, social media. Yeah, he likes piling around with him. Joey, Joey Molino would come in, stay at his house. He would load the refrigerator up with, with beer, and Joey would drink the refrigerator. <laughs> Of course, he got yes, he could drink. Coronas and cigars. That's Joey's uh nighttime yeah, menu. Cigarettes too. Yeah. Cigarettes too. Um I was in Peter Lugas sitting, he was sitting next to me, Joey Molino, 
And every time he ordered himself, uh, uh, it was a draft beer. It's like a brown beer that they had. One would show up in front of me, and I'm thinking, I'm saying, why is this way to keep bringing? And I'm trying to drink it and keep up, keep up with him. I was ossified. I was so drunk. <laughs> I never, you know, not a short period of time. Even though we eat. Joey comes from a long line of, of big drinkers. His dad, yeah. Chucky, you know, got, trouble got for into that, problems right? at yeah. the end of his uh, run in, on the streets for being a, a and, wild and, drunk. You know, he's not called skinny Joe. He's skinny. Right. Right. He's a little skinny guy. You know, to consume that much alcohol would put, I'm 6'1". <laughs> I was too much at that time. I, you know, you're talking about a lot of alcohol where it didn't even face him. <laughs> I couldn't even drive my car. Johnny, there were a couple times or at least one time uh, where you were being, this is when you were uh, still a made guy, or you still are a made guy, but this is when you were an active made guy. Um, you were tasked with delivering messages from uh, guys in, in your crime family to uh, members of Joey's crew, uh, the, the Johnny Chang. No, it was that didn't come from us. That came from um, that came from Joey Amato, a skipper with the Columbus. But you sent, that, but you that, were sending, but you I were sending word. It. Yeah, it was nothing. It was nothing of importance. It was just basically, you know, uh, I send my send my best, send my love. Oh, know, so it wasn't I, like it, it wasn't business related. No, it wasn't business. No, it wasn't business. It was more of a hello message, and that came from Joey Amato. And give us uh, just a, a couple words or a couple thoughts on, you know, the times that you w w were spending with Joey and his Philly crew. Uh, how, how different did those guys operate than, you know, the traditional wise guys in New York City? I, I would say not, not much, not much difference. The only thing that I, I, you look, they were, you know, when I met all these guys, they, they were decent, you know, they seemed like nice guys. They just seem like neighborhood guys. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. Like, I mean, that's why they're that's why they're kind of so, uh, so popular around there. They're the cool kids. They've been the cool kids since they were in junior high school, and they're still the cool kids in their fifties. Yes, and and you could see how close they are, you know. And I admired that about them. Like it was nice to see that this group of friends that grew up together, and you could see they were more like palling around than kind of, as we would say, stand in ceremony, cousin Usher, like, like, you know, carrying themselves <laughs> like they're supposed to. And, and, and they just did their own thing. And these were, these were, these are a group of guys grew up together, love each other, know each other since they're kids. And I are never going to turn on them. In my belief. I believe I don't that ever too. see that ever happening. And they, uh, you could see, you could see the love that they have for one another uh, just by, you know, being around. Yeah, and it hasn't been all, you know, uh, puppy dogs and ice cream and, and no, completely no. harmonious. Those guys have gotten into beefs with each other, and they've gotten into beefs with each other to the point where if it was another family, I can guarantee you a lot of those guys would have flipped. But like you said, that their, their, their oath is to each other. It's not to Omerta. Yes, and, and and as with any group of of guys, you're always going to have your differences and problems and, and, and all of that. That's that's only that's natural, right? That's something natural. But I believe what you said is 100 percent correct. But then there was guys like, you know, uh, that Johnny Chang. He reminded me a lot of us guys in New York. Like he was very serious. 
he was the more seems very lovable. Which he just seems he would remind me more of a New York guy. Yeah, because he those. wasn't their era. Are you? I mean, he wasn't their. Well, he was their era, but he you know, he's older. Was, he's I, older I, I, than them, and know. it's his little yeah. brother Mikey. Who was, was killed, you know, yeah. who was Joey's best friend and part of that uh, inner inner circle of childhood friends who was uh, allegedly uh, just, you know, a, a wild card of all wild cards and um, a real, real cowboy, maybe even more so than, than Joey's a cowboy. Uh, but Johnny, who we're talking about now, Johnny Chang, who's the older brother, yes. is more uh, reserved and understated, uh, maybe a little more serious. Yes, he was, he was, um, he just came off that way to me, you know, conduct himself like a gentleman. And not, not that these guys are not gentlemen, it's just that they have that kind of like, I don't want to say like the Bowery boy, like that, you know, that kind of rough and tumble, you know, I, I don't know, they, they would just look. To put it in the terminology of like uh, you know uh, our generation, they're like they're boys more than they are a mob family yeah, or a that, mob crew. They're like it's correct. like your boys that are coming over to watch football on Sundays and who you're going to the bar to scam on girls with. Like it's like take that mentality more so than uh, you know Bob mob businessmen uh, interacting with each other and shaking hands and you know uh, very transactional. This is like you know your crew of childhood boy, like your boys that are you're going to Vegas with to go paint the town. That's like their whole crew that's been together for forty years. Well, you said it right before. Their loyalty is to each other first, and that that you could you could see that just watching them. That's that's that was my take on that. Don't you think, John, that um, the the variables though are, are are different here, like. One of the reasons why that's probably not a sustainable model in New York is the weight of New York would, would break that. Like, like I don't care how much those guys love each other. The weight of New York would like Philly, well, you saw, the scale you, is smaller. You can, you can pull that off. I agree with you. It's an outlier. You saw the Bass Street Boys. Yes. Which was kind precisely. of a similar Jimmy Calandra. Precisely. Uh, Joey, crazy Joey Calco and yes. uh, Paulie Brass. Good Galino. example. They were kind of the that equivalent of Joey and his crew, a, a little bit younger, uh, and they and were these like, guys turned on each and other. they all turned on each other. They right. up, you know, they end up killing the the, the, the Paulie Brascalino, who was the, the leader of that group, ended up being killed by his own guys on orders of the Bonanno crime family. And then they all none of those none of those guys ended up actually being initiated. They, right, they're, they're, they're they kind of died on the vine. Yeah, they're, they're uh, run to the top. Yeah, I think his name was what was it. Galino, Polly right? Gol- Polly G-U-L-I-N-O. Galino. Yeah. Yeah, Galino, yeah. Yeah, yeah they, they wind up killing, killing Well, yeah, you know what he did? He, frankly, he signed his own death warrant. He, he put his hand, yeah, know, put his hands on Anthony yeah. Spiro. Made, I don't yeah. care how mad you are. You're In, in, in your, public. In public. And you're, 20, yeah. you're 21 years old or 22 years old. Uh, you think that you could, uh, you know, uh, push the, the acting boss of the Bonanno crime family But that's, that's what I mean. Yeah. The, the weight of, of New York, the weight of the organization – his response wasn't, I don't give a fuck. These are my boys. The, the response was, well, then we got to kill yeah, him. We got to kill him. <laughs> Even right. though he's our buddy. Right. We and we're going to use killing him to get our buttons. That's right. Which they didn't well, end up getting their buttons, but, but they, that would have that right, yeah. happened. Well, yeah. I think one of them did. Yeah, for, uh, uh, DeBrizio. One, but he was yeah. actually kind of a, a lesser uh, inner circle. It was Jimmy Calandra, yeah. Paulie Galino, Joey Calco, Tommy Reynolds, 
and then this Francesco uh, de, de, I think it's Debris. I think it was I can't remember. Debrizio. They call him the herder. I can't remember. He's the one who got made because he's the one who stayed on the street. The rest of them all went to prison or flipped or. Yeah. Yeah. Any thoughts on the uh, Persico news you want to touch on or. Well, as you know, we, so the news broke with the daily news. The story just for for, for people that don't know, uh, came out in the New York papers last week that. Uh, Carmine Persico, who died a couple years ago, a longtime godfather in New York. Uh, and then there was a, a document uh, from the federal government back from 19, uh, 1971 that it's popped up in some discovery uh, in some court documents for some current uh, uh, goings-ons with some Colombo guys and made its way onto the front page yeah. of the, the New York tabloids, uh, uh, alleging that Persico was a rat. Yeah, so I got I got a telephone call from um, my partner on the show, you know, man, about man Tom Lavecchia, and he said, "Hey, did you see the the uh, front page of the Daily News?" And I didn't see it. And I said, "Let me go look at it." And then I got back on with him, and he said, "You know, what do you think? Do you want to do something on it?" I said, "I tell you the truth, I really don't, because you know, uh, it, it, you know, it just uh, look. I, I don't know." I'm not. I'm not a, a professional reading these documents. I don't know exactly what it meant. And it was from '71. It was a little grainy. But I read the article and I read what the um, the lawyer had said. And I said, well, the only way that I would talk about it is if Larry McShane uh, would come on because if we go on, we're going to get 300 messages of why did or comments that or why did you guys have guys have Larry McShane on. So we went with it, right? Larry said he would come on. He had done an article which, which, about me and a bunch of other guys. So he kind of did a favor for me and he came on. And, you know, we spoke about it. And to me, for me, what, what people kind of misconstrue is that I believe in paperwork, not necessarily that paperwork, but any paperwork, because there was no paperwork in support of any, any, uh, uh, label that they tried to put on me, there was no paperwork, right? And if there was, they would believe me, it would be, it would be all over the social media by now. But so, you know, people mis people mistook my um, like. I seemed very happy. To ha- my happiness came that we had the sauce machine on, and he that story just broke like a few hours before, right? And they right away twisted it and kind of pointed the finger. Some, not everybody, but some people, like it was Tom and I that broke the story and had the paperwork. That's not true. We just had the source on and we were reporting it with the reporter who broke the, the story. And, you know, I did a follow-up blog on it and and, and, and stated that, you know, there's no way, in no way am I taking any position because I don't know if that, that information is accurate or not. I have no idea. You know, and I, I, I was falsely accused of something. I, I'm not going to be a hypocrite and falsely accuse somebody else. If I'm not even in the life no more. You know what I mean? So, you know, whether it's true or it's not true, it doesn't affect my life in, in any way. So, you know, I just think that, you know, sometimes you try to do something and you try to report something and, and bring the source of where it came from. You know, one of the major newspapers, you know, the, the New York Daily News uh, 
broke that story. Not John Panisi. <laughs> you know what I mean? The the the, the, the Vicolina, who who uh, was the opposition during the Colombo War against Persico, his camp and his lawyers brought that paperwork out. You know, and that's what we were trying to do. Now, in in my blog, uh, Scott, I specifically said they need to come up with 302s if to support that if that information is accurate. How do I know? I don't know if that information is accurate or not. I I never once said call my personals a rat. That's that's not that's not my that's not that's not for me to say. You know, so will I stand on it? I, I, you know, I guess um, the lawyer claims that he went down to speak to Washington and that they told him he's on the right track. I, I you know, that's that's all I I only know what, what, what I was told. I don't I don't know anything factual. I mean, I, I think it's you know it's it's within the New York Daily News's right to 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 print a document like that. Um, yep. You know, they're they're going, they're going right to the source. I mean, that is the source. Um, I would have liked, and I know I'm, I'm Monday morning quarterbacking a little bit. Would have liked a little bit more context, um, maybe before they ran that headline uh well you know oh yeah they the New York basically press, had yeah. him out there right yeah uh i mean there's definitely smoke there um yeah but now it's, they could have well could it be true right you know instead of just saying what you know i seen it i i, I agree with you yeah isn't it kind of ambiguous like yeah, and the it's document itself and the the number of the confidential informant who'd it, it looks like that Scarpa might have had something to do with making that document. Uh, Greg Scarpa, the Grim Reaper, the famous uh, Colombo hitman. Infamous. Infamous, <laughs> right. Who was yep. incredibly close uh, to, to Carmine. Yes. Yeah. He, was on, he was on his side of the wall. It was his muscle on the street. Um, yep. and, and it was revealed um, after he died uh, that and maybe before he died, I'm not positive, that he had been, um, you know, the, the whitey bulger, if you will, of New York City, had been working on the government's dime for 30 years, uh, exchanging intelligence with FBI agents. Doing work for the FBI. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and I also think it could be something where it's not as, I use the term bad loosely, it's not as bad as it looks um, where I, I, I believe maybe it's possible, and I'm just, you know, thinking aloud here, um, spitballing, that maybe he gave information early in his career as a gangster um, while the, the first Colombo War was um, raging in the 60s, and he was a big part of that. Uh, and then possibly, you know, that cooperation was just for kind of that time and place. And then was never working with the government, you know, in the bulk of his uh, career and when he became the Don. Because I think a lot of people were reading that as meaning that Carmine Persico was informing yeah, for the government right. until the day he died and that he was informing in for them while the war, while the 90s war yeah, was that, going Yeah, that, that wouldn't make sense. Why would yeah. he still be in But prison? that's what I'm saying about context. I, would, right. I wish that the article would have provided a little bit more context. Listen, I— I, I even said in, in the blog, in all fairness, I made a case and went in defense of uh, Tony Muscatello with the Sun Cruz Casino case, right? And I said 
Well, if the guys, they labeled him informant, the guy's an informant, what's he doing in federal prison doing life? <laughs> you know, what, what, you know, when the guy want to help himself out and, and, uh, you know, try to, you know, you know, they, they wanted John Jr. at that time. I'm sure he could have supplied a lot of information to get himself out of this life sentence, something. And so I, I believe in the same thing with Persico. I was never, never once does, can anybody quote me that I called Persico a rat or I'm insinuating that? I'm not. I never did. And that's not what that was about. We were just bringing the guy on and the sauce. There's nothing that you should have to apologize for, for bringing on a acclaimed mob writer from New York who wrote the story that everyone's talking about. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's people saying that you guys need to apologize, you need to retract and apologize. What did I do? What did we do? <laughs> Listen, we brought the guy on. You know what I mean? And it's the Daily News broke the story, not not the NBA and the bar. <laughs> the Daily News broke a major newspaper. Thank you so much for spending some more time with us here at the OG. You're a tremendous storyteller, incredibly articulate. You give A-plus insight into the world that we cover. Why don't you tell the viewers, listeners, where they can find you and, and consume your content? So I have Sit Down News, and that's at sitdownnews.com. That's my blog. And a lot of things that we're talking about is, is in there, if people like to read that. I also have... The podcast that's on YouTube called The NBA and the Butt Man. I started a second podcast called Sit Down News, and that's just me kind of going and going further detail on blog posts that I write, or or sometimes other other things that's not on blog posts. So that's where they can find me. Well, thank you so much. Please follow, share, like everything that John Panisi puts out, everything that the Original Gangsters podcast puts out. You can get us on all the socials at Gangster Podcast. We will be back next week giving you fresh new OC content, breaking everything down, covering the news, talking history. John Panisi, we hope to have you back soon. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining us and giving us that just tremendous insight on the sanctioning of the Skinny Joey Merlino mob regime. We finally now kind of know the details about how he was, you know, certified fresh, if you will, by the New York Mafia Commission, what was left of the commission, and it was all because of John's reporting that he did last week, and uh, it's just, it's invaluable information for historians and researchers. Thanks so much, John. Have a great rest of the week. We will see you next week for Jimmy Bucciolato. This is Scott Bernstein, OG Podcast, out.